Jesus Christ, who brings us to this sacred space. It is uh, good to be with you again, and uh, those of you who are uh, in person worshiping, it's uh, wonderful to be with you in person. And to those who will be joining us on uh, cable, Whiteman, Sunday at 8, and uh, 3 p.m. in East Link, Sundays at 5, a, a good welcome. And to those, too, who will tune in on Facebook, it is really wonderful that you can join us virtually uh, this morning. There are some announcements that I just want to mention quickly. Well, next Sunday, uh, Lynn McDougall will be your, your worship leader. Uh, remind you to get your orders in for those delicious uh, gumdrop cakes. Uh, you want a big one? $24. Small one? 13 uh, And notice um, your new pastor uh, is requiring rental housing, and so uh, we're asking that everybody sort of, you know, sort of search the town as they know it. Uh, I'm sure we'll be asking uh, real estate people too if there are uh, things available. So please do that. Calendars, United Church calendars are now of, uh, being ordered at six bucks a copy. Tomorrow uh, afternoon your Zoom book club meets and uh, that's always good fun, isn't it? fall food drive. You see, it, the, the drive is working. Uh, it's starting to uh, mass at the front here, and uh, there's still uh, uh, another Sunday uh, week to work on that. And then, well, you've seen all the week at a glance stuff. I just want to say a little word about uh, 
pastoral care. Uh, I have been sort of asked to do a bit of uh, pastoral care, emergency care, of course, but uh, uh, what's, what's pastoral care? You know, I'm not looking for extra work, and, uh, and yet it's important that there be opportunities for pastoral conversation throughout the congregation. Uh, and, you know, pastoral conversation can, can involve anything. You know, we are spiritual beings, so just about everything becomes uh, uh, an occasion for, for talking about the things that, that matter to us. So, uh, you know, I've been away from the congregation quite a bit, and so, I, I you know, I've sort of just nosing around, trying to find where, uh, you know, there, there, there might be, uh, you know, occasions to uh, have some good pastoral conversation with people. Uh, uh, Sally uh, organized the uh, 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 sort of a, a worship at uh, O.G.'s Valley View. You know, I, I get all the little sub-names mixed up in, in the seniors' residence there. Uh, we were there, uh, was it last Tuesday, and that was good. It was the first time to, to get that group together, and so th things like this I'm available for, okay? Well then, As uh, people of Treaty 40, 45 and a half, we recognize that we're on the traditional territory of the Odawa, Mississauga, Anishinaabe First Nations, uh, who have stewarded this land for thousands of years with a deep spiritual connection to earth, air, water, and all non-human creatures. Uh, so may we continue to work toward right relationships with our indigenous neighbors and continue to speak up and speak out against systemic racism and colonialism that, you know, just uh, perpetuates in, in our culture, even though we think we're evolving uh, into a better place. So we gather. We light the Christ candle you to remain seated as we sing this song for quieting, for discernment, for sort of centering ourselves by bringing ourselves, our spirits, everything more into this sacred time.
We believe that the great physician welcomes and heals the broken. We present our frail humanity and our lofty aspirations to God's transformative love. We believe that the grace of God is a surprising rebirthday gift. In eager anticipation, we gather in God's presence. And you may join in the prayer as we pray together. Welcomer of sinners and tax collectors, the poor, the lame, the blind, the lepers, the orphans and widows, and all who admit their need. We join the Zacchaeuses and the little and broken people of this world with humble gratitude for your love, mercy, and grace. Receive our praise. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. And we sing together, Come All You People. More voices, too. Sylvia Stewart is our reader for today, and so uh, Our minute for mission is falling in love with earth. How can we be good soil for the love of earth? An awakening. That's how Sarah Arthurs describes what she experienced just before she came up with the idea for Green Exodus. Gatherings of people who find themselves falling deeply in love with Earth and want to help it flourish. Back in 2008, partly due to the influence of former moderator, the very Reverend Bill Phipps, my family and I moved into Prairie Sky Co-Housing Cooperative to maintain a smaller footprint on the Earth, explains Arthur. She figured that with that, she had done her part. With the move, it was as if I said to the earth, don't call me, I'll call you, she says. Then in 2019, she read articles in the Time magazine by William Reese, originator of the carbon footprint model. He described how technology was not going to save us from the destruction of climate change. And it was if, as if the earth was calling. I was left with a new awareness and big questions, she says. Those questions evolved into the idea of Green Exodus gatherings. With help from the Embracing the Spirit grant supported through your mission and service gifts, the support of EDGE Network, and an advisory team, Green Exodus was born. Throughout the pandemic, the group met online to explore the spiritual questions raised by climate change and the theologies and spiritual practices 
that were emerging as a result. We used various practices to realign our relationship with Earth, things like meditation, poetry, contemplative photography, deep time walk, community conversations, and hospitality. She says, adding, Tony Snow guided us in attention to land acknowledgement in the four elements, fire, air, water, and earth, as a way to ground ourselves in the earth. Some of the practices used are highlighted on the website greenexodus.ca. A key probing question runs through all of them. How can we be good soil for the love of earth? You can only see as sacred what you love. You can only save what you love. We need to practice falling in love with earth again, said Arthurs. Your gifts through mission and service support unique transformative ministries like Green Exodus. Thank you for your generosity. Our first scripture reading, I will be reading selected verses from the letters to Romans 1, 3, and 6. Reformer Martin Luther's study of Paul's letters to the Romans solidified his conviction that faith as trust in God's grace, rather than human effort, 
however good or noble, was the real foundation of a relationship with God. It is appropriate, then, on Reformation Sunday to read selections about God's grace from this letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's saving power for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to be demonstrate it was to demonstrate at the present time his own righteousness so that he is righteous and he justifies the one who has the faith of Jesus then what becomes of boasting it is excluded by what law by that of works no but by the law of faith for we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law what then are we to say Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we might also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, so we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Our next hymn is A Mighty Fortress, Voices United, uh, 263.
Our second scripture reading is from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. Jesus and Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was, not trying, to, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has, gone to be to the, uh, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Thanks be to God. That hymn we just sung, and that you would notice, was written, uh, words by Martin Luther, uh, the melody, the tune, Martin Luther. Uh, and as I was singing, I said, uh, singing, I said, well, this certainly represents the 16th century world uh, as it was viewed at that time, you know, full of demons and spirits and uh, all kinds of evil things that threatened the people's very precarious lives at that time. I also uh, wanted to acknowledge, you know, how, how nice it was to again visit into Vera Struthers' living room to receive her gift of music. Uh, and it was so appropriate, falling in love with the earth, you know, as it followed immediately upon uh, the reading of our faith in action uh, and its uh, care for the earth, which is certainly becoming very crucial in our time, isn't it? Well. Every 500 years, the church feels compelled to hold a giant rummage sale. <laughs> uh, so says Anglican Bishop Mark Dwyer as he humorously describes times of great change that overtake the church. Phyllis Tickle, an internationally respected religion expert, quotes Dyer in her book, The Great Emergence. Uh, where she looks at through history at those big moments uh, where um, culture, society, politics, government, church 
all are in turmoil and, and all are changing. So Tickle labels the current rummage cell that we're experiencing the great emergence. But it began in the age of the Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th centuries, overlapped by the Industrial Revolution of the 18th and 19th centuries. In this era, it included colonial Christianity, the missionary dream of converting the entire world to Christ by force, if necessary. Uh, and in this time, in this period, well, near the end of it, researchers like Charles Darwin overturned the church's theological apple cart, as did past visionaries like Galileo and Copernicus. During this period, uh, intellectual and philosophical movements challenged and changed worldviews and opened the way for the modern age. And we're still dealing with all the change. Uh, and uh, Christians in particular, as the church, you know, finds itself, you know, uh, engaged in, in much change. Uh, as I reflect, I, I was ordained in 1966, about the time the United Church growth peaked. Those were the field of dream years. You remember the movie in which an Iowa farmer constructs a ballpark in his cornfield? Uh, convinced that if he built it, his legendary baseball heroes would magically appear, and they did. Uh, well, after World War II, the 1940s, then the 50s and 60s were magic years for our denomination. We didn't think church strategy. We didn't give a whole lot of thought to the future. We just carried on business as usual, and the people came. Nowadays, churches struggle with shrinking, aging congregations and fewer resources. Church planning and strategy become all important. They're paramount these days. The future for us right now is like peering into a cloudy crystal ball. You know, it's, it's foggy, it's, it's uncertain, <laughs> and it sure doesn't feel great. But it's emerging. And we can't stop time or history. And thankfully, through all of this, the future is in the hands of God, the Almighty. The past, as a teacher, reveals that Christian faith has endured every 500-year rummage sale and the turmoil involved. The faith emerges reformed and transformed because God continues faithful. God loves the world so much, is so immersed in the world, is so taking the opportunities that we provide to, to, to move things uh, of the kingdom, the reign of God forward. And so our responsibility is to live faithfully, to trust God, love the world too, and simply do what we can do in our time. Well, today's Reformation Sunday in the Protestant churches, and take a guess. October the 31st, 1518, a monk professor of religion, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the uh, castle door in Wittenberg, Germany. That takes us back 500 years. Yeah. 
to the Great Reformation or the Protestant Reformation in the Roman Church, the Counter-Reformation. Counter Intellectual and religious uh, reform movements had been growing for some time before uh, 1518. Uh, things were changing. Remember 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Uh -huh. The only mistake he made was that he didn't fall off the edge of the earth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, three years before Luther grabbed his hammer, Copernicus published his theory that the sun was the center of the universe and not the earth. Uh, furthering ideas developed from a Copernicus, Galileo would eventually get himself excommunicated by the church. See, the 16th century is a world of ideas in motion facilitated by Gutenberg's invention of the printing press. And so Luther was a natural product of, of his age, uh, he and all the other reformers. He was a product of the religious and political ferment he wanted open debate on the essentials of Christian faith. He wanted to get rid of what he saw were the abuses of the established church. He wanted to deal with matters of church reform. He and all the Protestant reformers championed the Bible in the common language, in the hands of the common people, and scripture as the sole authority for Christian faith. He insisted on the priesthood of all believers, which challenged the clergy's exclusive, uh, a, a gate, uh, as exclusive gatekeepers to access to God, direct access of people to the God they worshiped. But through all of this, his greatest contribution was his insistence that our salvation comes by grace through faith. That is, God through loving kindness, that's grace, takes the initiative to heal us and to make us whole. That's the meaning of salvation. You know, the root salvation is to, he uh, root word means to say, uh, to, to heal. And so, God, through loving kindness, takes the initiative to make us whole, save us, as we live in trusting relationship, in faith, with God. Salvation by grace through faith, not works, became Luther's model. And the works that Luther and the other reformers objected vehemently to was the sale of indulgences. Supposedly, uh, you could buy a ticket to heaven. Now understand that life for most people of this, this time was hard. It was grueling. It was oppressive. Life expectancy was short. You know, chronic illness was widespread. Fear and superstition abounded. Death and hell, you know, preoccupied the people's minds. And in all of this, the church was sort of in a controlling, uh, um, acted in a controlling way. And in effect, it said, pay up and we'll guarantee you that you won't go to hell. And we'll guarantee you eternal salvation. Now, 
Unfortunately, this fear of death and eternal damnation is still used as a powerful but disgusting motivational tool in some quarters of Christian uh, religion. Well, what I want to do is keep in mind then this Protestant principle of, of salvation by grace through faith as we reflect on the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. It's a charming story of grace in action. I guess you call it a paradigm story, and one that holds for all time, that uh, represents God's timeless grace fulfilling its transformative purposes in each of our lives. So the story. As Jericho's chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was very rich. Now, there never was a poor tax collector. <laughs> and since he was the chief tax collector, not only was he rich, he had to be very, very, very rich. And you know, nobody likes taxes, do they? Oh, we all like their benefits, but it's the taxes we hate. Well, the Jerichoites hated taxes too, but they also hated tax collectors. First of all, tax collectors were agents of the despised occupiers, uh, Roman occupiers of Palestine. And second, they charged high commissions, uh, as high a commission as they dared, and far more than they should. So here's Zacchaeus, he's up a tree, and he's out on a limb as it happened. And who knows? Who knows if he was dressed in camouflage clothing and hoping to hide in the leaves? You know, he was short in stature. His elevator sandals were useless. Uh, and unlike the photographers on their uh, stepladders jostling to get the perfect picture of this rising star, Jesus from, from Nazareth, Zacchaeus's position was utterly hopeless. As the story goes, he wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. He was vertically challenged. You, you might recall in Luke's gospel, particularly Luke's gospel, John the Baptist drew crowds to the wilderness with his fiery call for repentance. And in Luke's gospel uh, alone, uh, folks asked John what how they ought to respond, you know. And he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance, you brood of vipers. <laughs> Don't you like John's uh, preaching style? Uh, pastor gave thrown out of a pulpit, you know, if it, he or she addressed the congregation that way. But Luke says, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Okay. Even tax collectors, among the least likely humans on the planet that you'd expect to show up for baptism, they came. And they asked John what they should do. Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. <laughs> As one commentator, Riley, suggested, tax collectors who followed John's command would be poor. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you know, you know, if one reason Zacchaeus sneaked up into that sycamore tree was so that the crowds wouldn't hiss and boom and chase him home. Uh, however, however he managed to get up the tree, Luke tells us that he wanted to see Jesus. Now, why? That's the intriguing question. 
we can only speculate. You know, maybe he was just curious. You know? Jesus' reputation was growing. Hmm. Maybe I should see. Perhaps something uh, unsettling was troubling him deep inside. What if he was one of those tax collectors who heard John the Baptist in the wilderness and had been thinking about the immorality of his, of his excessive commissions? <laughs> he wanted to see Jesus. Seeing Jesus is an intriguing concept in the New Testament. Seeing Jesus implies more than meeting Jesus, shaking hands with him and saying, glad to meet you, sir. Uh, New Testament seeing is encountering, being drawn into the sacred presence, being enlightened by who Jesus is as the revelation of God. And so I'm thinking, maybe that was happening. Maybe something deep is happening inside of Zacchaeus, and he wanted to see. He wanted to be encountered by the all-seeing one. Now, if Zacchaeus were a 21st century person, he'd, we'd say he's feeling very empty, he's uncomfortable, he's dissatisfied. He wouldn't understand if you suggested he might be having a midlife crisis. Okay. Or if he was an old guy, uh, if you hinted uh, he was having a crisis of conscience, I don't know if they thought in terms of conscience in those days. Anyway, he's a big man. Uh, in town, money-wise, he has everything that money can buy, a three-car garage, he's got a Cadillac in one bay, a Mercedes in another, and a sporty, a nice sports car in the other. But something is missing. If Zacchaeus were a 21st century man, chances are he would need to be saved from his meaninglessness. That terrible recognition that he had everything and yet he felt his life had no worthwhile purpose. Everything he had but nothing. No meaning, no peace, no happiness, no direction. You know, he's lacking in more than height, I'm thinking. Tree branch didn't need to break. Zacchaeus didn't need to fall out of the tree for Jesus to notice him. Jesus sees him quivering in the tree, and in true New Testament form, he already knows his name. You know, the all-seeing, sacred presence in Christ. Zacchaeus, get down. I'm coming to your place today. What's for dinner? Huh? <laughs> people in the crowd would naturally be shocked. And the good religious people, the protectors of the faith, exemplified by the Pharisees, grumble. You know, Jesus can't be a true prophet. He can't be for real. He wouldn't eat with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, yeah. Nice people have this fatal habit of ignoring the Apostle Paul's observation that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The unbearably righteous are so wrapped up in their egotistical self-righteousness that they are blind to the truth that God's grace does not depend on their goodness or their righteousness. Indeed, that self-righteousness is a stonewall barrier to the grace of God. So Jesus, the personification of radical grace, sees this tax collector, sees into him, understands him as a person, recognizing 
uh, what he struggles for, and he welcomes him as a child of God. And Zacchaeus, despite his greed and despite all his wealth, has the one thing that matters, you know, his sense of need. That openness sprung the opportunity for God's love to pour in. In front of him stood Jesus, the piercing presence of divine love, the one who knew him as a child of God who needed life-changing grace. In Jesus, God's grace took the initiative as it always does and wraps most unusual person with grace. In Jesus, God's grace took the initiative as it always does. God knows, God knows us, moves toward us as unconditional love. Grace works. It works when people are receptive to grace as Zacchaeus must have been. Usually not the way, you know, Zacchaeus, you know, had this instantaneous response, but grace works usually for most of us. You know, it works day by day by day over time. But when grace is experienced and responded to uh, with love and gratitude, there is ethical change made. That's the thing about Luke's gospel. When he talks about salvation, he's talking about the practical stuff you know, the things that we do to demonstrate that grace is operating in our lives. So Zacchaeus vowed he's going to donate 50% of his wealth and repay fourfold any he has cheated. And in response, Jesus announces salvation has come to this house, this moment. You know, repentance and salvation are about responding to God's grace by doing the simple stuff day by day, doing God's work, lives changed by God's grace, even changed lives newly worn by God's grace, demonstrate grace through loving acts. You know, as John the Baptist told the tax collectors, well, he told the soldiers too, and he told everybody, even people with two coats, you know, give one away. Uh, it's a bare fruit, worthy of repentance. Uh, Jesus said to all, and I expect he said it many times, you will know them by their fruits. Uh, salvation has little to do with getting a ticket to heaven. You know, it certainly felt like that in the 16th century. It has a whole lot more to do with living compassionately here and now. And it all begins, and it all continues, and not with us, not by turning faith into yet one more work, one more accomplishment, not by telling people how good you are, but it begins by God's extravagant gesture of love that we are offered and that we can receive in trust. That's how it is in every story of grace. Thanks be to God. Amazing grace. Imagine that. We will sing it.
It's 266 in Voices United and projected. Giving is God's gift to help us find ourselves. Our serving is God's gift to help us help others. Our offering is God's gift to us to contribute to our church's ministry. In gratitude for all God's gifts, we make our offering at this time.
Heavenly offering to contribute to your work of healing love and compassion within our community and in the larger world. Amen. We continue in prayer. God of forgiving and enabling love, we bring the Zacchaeus in each of us to you, our curiosity that keeps us seeking the more in life, our quirkiness, our sinfulness that has us out on a limb always needing your grace, our need for forgiveness that affirms, yeah, we too are your children despite our brokenness and our measured eagerness to live with generosity. God of grace, come dine with us. Come to the table of our hearts. Talk to us of deep things. Continue your loving persuasion each day to make us more and more the persons we can be by your grace and your love. We thank you for the gift of life, changing seasons, childhood, youth, adulthood, maturity, and all that we experience and learn along the way. We give thanks for the past and its memories, for the present with its joys and sorrows, gains and losses, laughter and tears, aches and pains, successes and failures, and for the future held in hope that assures us that you have more for us. Thank you for the gift of relationships, for our loves, our partners, spouses, living or cherished in memory, family, friends, associates, all of the relationships which make up our lives and which are more precious than gold or diamonds. God, creator of this wonderful world, we lament the impact of the persisting pandemics, Russia's unwarranted war against Ukraine, supply chain problems, wildly inflating prices, natural disasters related to the rapidly deteriorating climate. We lament human sin, our sin, intricately woven into the suffering of this world. May the things that are happening, these great alarms, turn into teaching moments consciousness-raising moments that call the world, national leaders, decision-makers, actors, indeed call us to do what we can to bring more of your peaceful world into being. We pray for the churches of Christ, for all people of all faiths in this rummage sale area, Era. We pray for discernment, for vision, for wisdom, for flexibility and adaptability, and for a unity of purpose to counteract the despair, the anger, the division, weariness in the face of so many problems. We pray for the bearers and carriers of hope, for those who tirelessly work to make a better world, and we ask that we may be numbered among them. And so keep us strong. Keep us loyal, keep us committed to Jesus the Christ, whose name we bear. Gracious God, 
Today, we pray for those close to us, those who may be facing grave decisions, those who are ill, those who may be in hospital or facing surgery, those who are in seniors' homes, those for whom we care so much. Be with them. Be with our children in this cock and any age. Steer them and help us to provide wisdom and guidance. Gracious God, be with all the youth of the world as they look into a difficult future. And we pray, we pray that we may yet build a better world for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. We pray his prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Deep in our hearts, more voices, number 154, and projected.
As we go, I want to thank those who have uh, participated so directly in uh, bringing worship to us. I want to thank Avira Struthers for her gift of music, Sylvia Stewart for being the lay reader today, uh, for, uh, well, I look around the church, Bill Wilson on the camera and Adam Olivero sort of piecing together uh, things uh, for us. Uh, they're in the gallery, and uh, we have uh, Ian uh, doing the sound. Yuki, always your music is, is so uplifting, and I find it so, so beautiful. It brings me into a sacred space every time. Thank you. And if I've missed anyone, thanks. I'm going to see you again in due time, but uh, in the meantime, I continue my nostalgia travels. I'm, I'm going uh, to uh, Central West Side on the 16th, the church I served for about 12 years. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was down at, at Lucknow, uh, where I landed after coming back from uh, Saskatchewan, where, where Jean and I really began to, I guess, to raise our, our family. Uh, so uh, I will see you again. And so let us go. We're God's people. We live by grace every day. God renews us. Every day is a new beginning for us. Uh, and uh, we just do the best we can to be the people we think God wants us to be. And as we do that, we are the salt, we're light, we're leaven. And so, as you go, be Christ to everyone you meet. See Christ in everyone you encounter this week. And may the blessing of God be with us. Amen. Of hurts that can be healed. 
vision of new life in Christ. We'll give our voice to those who have not spoken. We'll find the words for those whose lips are sealed. We'll make the tunes for those who sing no longer. Expressive love alive in every heart. We'll share our joy with those who still are weeping. Raise hymns of strength for hearts that break in grief. We'll leap and dance the resurrection story. Include